Thinking. So here's Proverbs um, 21 from chapter 19. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That always encourages me. I love that, that verse because it basically says we can think up all kinds of plans, but the Lord has a purpose, and that's what will prevail. So what a, what a, good, a good word. So we're in the second week of a series, and um, I've called the series The Passions of Jesus, and I'm trying to do this series mostly from the words that are printed in red. In the New Testament, you'll see if you're maybe your maybe your translation of the Bible is one that when Jesus spoke, it was they used red ink, and so I'm mostly going from the red words. And last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is fired up about commitment. He has a lot of passion about commitment. Today, this is one of those sermons that I don't tell people in advance because I'm going to talk to you about today um, that Jesus is fired up about finances. Okay, good. You didn't get up and run on me, run out on me, and that's good, because um, it really doesn't matter what we're fired up about. I want to talk about what Jesus is passionate about, and although you know, I think this is one of those messages that people say, "Well, I don't want to hear a message about finances." Jesus loves to give them. Okay, I'm just telling you, he does. If you read through the scriptures, and, and, and particularly the Gospels, as I've been perusing, um, you're going to discover very quickly that he said more. Jesus said more about money and finances than uh, than he said about heaven and hell put together. He actually said, he, he, there's 38 parables in the New Testament, 38 that th- he told, 38, and 16 of those are about how to handle money and, um, and your possessions and, and how to use them and keep them from using you and abusing you. And uh, one out of 10 verses that are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think, I think Acts is also one of the Gospels, but, um, but, but in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 288 verses in all, one out of every 10 has to do with this topic. It's, it's um, you know, there are, there are in, the, in the Bible, there are over 500 verses that talk about prayer, 500 that talk about faith, um, actually less than 500 that talk about, and over 2,000 that talk about money and possessions. And, and I want you to know right now, I'm not trying to tell you that uh, finances is the most important topic in Scripture. It's not. It's not. But I believe that what the Scriptures teach about this topic is that if we get this issue wrong. If we don't get this right, it's going to be terribly difficult to get anything else right. It's, it's that important. So it's not the most important thing, but it's, it's a very critical topic because it, it, it so easily ensnares our hearts, and God wants us free, and he wants to own all of our hearts, that whole, that whole heart thing. So, so I'm going to begin today with this uh, first comment and first slide, and that is that Jesus is passionate about our finances. And I emphasize the word Jesus because, you know, if you've been coming here very long, you would probably know about me. I'm not. I don't talk about finances. I don't talk about money. I don't think about it a lot. Um, I don't, you know, other than my responsibilities before the Lord and before you to be a good steward with the church's finances. I mean, um, I mean, the, the church is really healthy. I'm not doing this message because we, you know, we're very healthy. We live within our means. The bills are paid on time. I'm grateful for a church council that's diligent about those kinds of things, and, and you should be too. So we're healthy. That is not the reason for this message. In fact, I don't ever generate messages because I have some agenda that we want to accomplish. I really believe that the Lord is in this topic, and, uh, and, and if anything, I'm a bit delinquent about talking about this topic, and um, you know because here's the deal. I, I looked back as I, I, I've kind of avoided this topic. 
I avoid it. I don't know why. I'm getting shy. Um, and I looked back, and I've been the pastor here for a little over seven years, and I keep a track of every message I ever teach and what the topic is. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a nerd, just like I gave you those, those other stats, which you can look them up. And so I look back, and today is my 320th sermon that I've given here, and I've given a total of four on money. <laughs> So you can tell I don't, it's not, I don't have an agenda about this. However, I know that this is a really important topic, and, and um, I haven't given it the, um, it's such a common biblical thing, and I've kind of avoided the topic, and that's just wrong on my part, um, that I haven't given it more attention. It's just not right. Um, and and I, I would say that after the last time that I taught about it, which was a couple years ago, um, about trusting God with our finances, there were several people who came to me who had, you know, they didn't know these things and they learned these things. And, and um, they were, you know, over time, I, there was some pretty incredible things that God started doing in people's lives. And, and uh, chains were broken. They were released from some things and, and people were set free. And, and there are a lot of people who continue to live in victory on those issues since that time. And, and then some others who I'm sure... Um, have had challenges and, and retreated back and, and, and really into positions of, of slavery or, or maybe disobedience. And, and some of you, you know, maybe you've been in a church, in churches for a long time and you've never ever faced up to this issue. So today we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, like I did last week, which I like to always do, I want to let Jesus be Jesus and um, let him share his own words in passion. Um, and with open hearts, we're not going to shave it. I'm not going to adjust it. I'm not going to soften it. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to weight it. I'm not going to juice it up. <laughs> I'm just going to let Jesus speak with power, his own words. And um, I did an informal survey this week, you know, um, just asked if several people, leaders and others, you know, um, name something in the Gospels that um, Jesus says about money. It's kind of an interesting thing. And I got you know, okay, you probably have some stories coming to mind already if you've been in the church for very long. You, you know, um, you know, really cool story where, you know, Peter needed some money and Jesus said, well, go fishing. And when you catch a fish, there's going to be money in its mouth. <laughs> the first miracle is that you can actually catch a fish and then there's money in there. You know, okay, that was pretty cool. And then, you know, the one, the one that came up probably the most frequent from the people I asked was render unto Caesar, you know, that's the whole story about give, the, you know, give to Caesar what Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. Great story. And then there's a story about the rich young man, the rich young ruler, and how hard it is for a rich man to get into heaven, harder than a camel to get through. You know, that's, that story came up, and... Um, the story is about Jesus flipping over tables. That's kind of an interesting story. And then, but, but another one that came up was this one about the widow's mite, the widow who gave this, this, this coin as an offering. And then a rich guy came up and, you know, dumped his dump truck load full of money. You know, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and, and Jesus basically said, she gave more because she gave out of her poverty. It was a great story. Anyway, so um, I, I, I've looked in, I'm looking at the red words and what Jesus is passionate about. And Luke chapter 12 is a wonderful passage where you know, Jesus basically, basically summarizes all of his teachings about finances right there in Luke chapter 12. And so you're going to see how fired up he is about it. And he's actually, okay, so to set the stage, he's actually having this conversation and he's talking about the topic of commitment. Okay, he's not even talking about money. And... Um, He's kind of pounding the pulpit. He's preaching away. You know, we got to be more committed. We got to be more sold out. And right in the middle of that message, this guy, this guy stands up and says, hey, he says, okay, chapter, chapter 12, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Okay, it's a major change the subject. Jesus, you know, he's pounding away on commitment, and this dude says, hey, do you mind if I change the subject here for a second? And in just a minute, this guy's going to wish he had never asked Jesus this question, okay? But, but verse 14, but he said to him, man, man, kind of, Jesus is cool. Okay, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, the word man there is obviously human or means mortal. It's a typical word. But what he's offering this guy is a rebuke. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, I think Jesus, what are you messing with me about financial stuff? I'm I'm talking about commitment here. That's what really fires me. But if you want to know about money, okay, I'll talk about money. And then for about 20 verses, Jesus lets loose on that topic of finances. And we're going to see in this little passage five principles that Jesus shares to build our whole financial philosophy. And, uh, okay, so right out the bat, first one that he's going to share is that more is not better. More is not better. Verse 15, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Okay, so Jesus' words, take heed and beware, there is really no more serious warning that Jesus could give. This is very serious. You know, it can be translated, guard yourselves, or be active and proactive you know, and aggressive about covetousness. Now, Maybe your translation says something else. It might say greed. Um, it's pleonexia. It actually means avarice. Okay? Guard against avarice. Guard against greed. Um, and, and the concept of the word there is this thirstiness. Thirstiness. Kind of like the picture would be like drinking salt water. Guard against thirstiness. Okay, so, you know, here, here's... So, so here's, here's, why, here's why salt water is relevant. Maybe you know that if you're lost at sea, don't drink the water, right? You probably have seen a movie somewhere, but you didn't really understand why. Here's why you don't do that. The human kidney can only produce urine that's actually less salty than the seawater. So the more you drink, it actually requires more water than the water you take in to get rid of the salt that's in the salt water. It, it starts drawing water out of your tissues to deal with the salt in the salt water. Translation, you get thirstier from drinking salt water. Jesus is saying, when you get this wrong, your thirst is going to cause you to drink yourself to death. This issue of greed. And that's what greed's like. This is a, you know, this, this, that's the deception of greed. You know, the more you get, the more you want. And that's kind of like the story of our country, really, over the last couple of hundred years. It's really not a whole lot more complicated than that, this whole addiction of having and more. And, and Jesus is simply saying, man's life, women's life, does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess. And you've probably heard that before. You know, you've probably heard it. And it's, it's easy to hear. It's kind of hard to live it. Um, I'll tell you a couple of stories um, of which I have fairly intimate knowledge because this, these, these two stories happened to involve people very close to me. I'm not going to tell you who. Don't try to figure out who. Um, um, because, but these stories are probably being duplicated somewhere in your life as well, somewhere close to you. First story is about this family who was um, dealing with an estate, okay, an inheritance. First, let me say that an inheritance is the passing along of revenue, resources, material, wealth, whatever it is, that you didn't earn right? Would you all agree that in most cases an estate is given to you, it's a windfall. So you ought to be going, wow, thank you, whoever and God or whatever. But, but that's what we should do. 
Um, but anyway, so this family's dealing with it. And it's a significant estate. Um, and it's being shared among five adult children. And included in this estate was, you know, the typical stuff that would be in an estate. And also some land, some significant land, some significant waterfront land. Okay, are you seeing dollar signs kind of stack up on this? Some, some valuable land as part of this estate. And this is a, this is a fairly close-knit family. They, um, they love each other. They trust each other. They spend, spend holidays together. They did vacations together. They did, you know, I'm talking about different families, and they would do summer vacations together and go on family reunions. They were together close, tight-knit family. Estates coming down all of a sudden. And um, one of the daughters is the executor of the estate, so she's doing the business of it. And somewhere in the process was this necessary step for the family to declare, here's, here, here's what the estate is, and it goes before the judge. This is all the stuff in the estate, and now we're going to divide it. And missing from the document was the land. Any mention of the land's not on there. And it's a legal document under legal penalty for lying, there's federal taxes involved. They'll come after you, right? <laughs> okay. And um, you've got to sign the dotted line declaring this is the entire estate. Well, the land's left off, and it's left off intentionally because if we don't include the land, we don't declare it, we don't have to pay the taxes on it, and it's a lot of money, the estate tax. Now, today's estate tax laws are different. Back then, it was taxed at a fairly high. It was, we're talking a lot of money, a lot of money here that would be paid off in taxes. And four of five of the siblings signed off. And one could not. Um, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess, right? Okay, so um, one could not because it wasn't true. And this, this, this couple who were looking at it, you know, one of them was one of the siblings, um, they were trying to figure, okay, this isn't really honest, it's not right, um, what do I do? They talk to a pastor. They talk to a lawyer. Answer, well, you can't do that. You can't, if you cheat Caesar, God's not going to be able to bless these other things. You got to you know, render unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? Render unto God. What is God's? And uh, by the way, lawyer says, oh, well, 10 years in jail, $10,000 fine. You don't want any of that. Now, to make matters more complicated, the executor of the estate was married to a high-ranking police official. He probably would have lost his career. You know, Al Capone, you're going to jail kind of. There's a lot going on here. But one out of five says, no, can't do it. When that happened, um, the family fractured the relationship. In fact, between the executor and the one who couldn't sign until it was done honestly, all communication stopped for 20 years. Yeah, it's just, it was a heartbreaking thing over money, over thirst. Here's another one. I'll come back to that one in a minute, but here's another one. Um, this is another, um, this one is a story of a, of a widow who, um, she lived very well because um, her husband, she and her husband owned a furniture manufacturing company and a retail sales, a furniture store. They made, they, they made good money and they lived life comfortably. And when he passed away, she, of course, had all this and... Time goes by, and she remarries, and in the state of Washington, there are community property laws, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it was a combined estate, and now she's married. It's theirs now, and it didn't take very long, and this fellow passed away. Well, he had an estate, um, and his children got involved, and um, 
because it's community property state, they got into her revenue stream. She was elderly, a little vulnerable, and they siphoned off all of her, all of her assets. They basically stole it from her. Thirsty. Thirsty. It's like, um, you know, when an inheritance can come up, something can happen to people, there, there can be like this piranha-like feeding frenzy. People are no longer themselves, and people can get crazy. This, this, this believer couple in the first story, you know, they were wrestling with this, and, and they really felt that the, the Lord directed them, don't sign it. You take the relational heat, you do the right thing. And that's what they did. It's a lot of money, it was a hard decision, but it comes down to this matter of, do I really believe what the Bible says? Or do I really think that somehow that, that my grasping for or clutching something more, that I'm somehow going to enhance my life? Do I really believe that? Because that's what most people think. If something's within my reach, I'm supposed to gather it in. And Jesus is saying, watch out for this concept in your life where you'd say, I know life isn't about stuff. I know life isn't about money. I know my my life isn't about having. But then living as though that really isn't true. And Jesus is declaring that people who have more are not happier. You know, if you have more money, you're not happier because of it. If you, if, you have, if you have more square footage, you're not happier because of it. If you have a nicer car, you're not happier because if you have nicer clothes, you're not happy. More exotic vacations, you're not happier because of those things. That's his first principle. Jesus share, is sharing more is not better. In fact, there, th- this is what I have in my notes. You know, Get the congregation to say, more is not better. More is not better. Well, great. I thought we might have to do this. Oh, thank you. You know, I figured, I figured I could get you to say more is not better. That's pretty acceptable. Um, but the question is, will you let the Lord work in your heart to the place that you actually will live that topic, that more is not better? I mean, I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he teaches that the, the, the danger of riches is this tendency to trust in those things instead of in the king. So this principle is so significant. Jesus goes on to tell the story about it. And verse 16, and I think by this time, the guy who butted in is probably just, forget that I asked, but it's too late now. Okay, Luke 6, 12, verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Stop for just a second. This is a total rabbit trail and I'm not going there right now, but I want to point out to you, where did this guy's riches come from? The ground. It's not his great work, his shrewd farmerships, right? That is not where his riches came from. They came from the ground. They, they were provided by God. As soon as we think it's about what we've done, we're already in trouble. Okay, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Then he, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull, pull down my barns and build greater, and then I will store my, my crops and my goods. You're getting the point here. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many, many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy went first claiming it was him that, that he is the one. These are my crops. I did this. This is my stuff to deal with. And then he starts talking to himself, celebrating how wonderful it is. Soul, do you ever talk to yourself? 
Soul? <laughs> I don't know. So he just congratulates him. And so, so the question I would have for you, this guy's got this bumper crop. He's got more than he's needed. What should he have done with his excess? Anybody? Hey, there we go. Somebody's brave. Thank you. He should have given it away. He should have shared it with people in need. The tragic thing, though, instead, you know, he's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to store it. I'm just going to build big barns, barns to take care of myself. I'm going to put my feet up. I have a big old party. And you're not going to believe how much dough I'm going to spend on this cool party. Impressing my friends. Okay. Second thing that Jesus wants us to recognize is that it's foolish to accumulate for yourself. It's folly. Okay. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So it is. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This word fool is the strongest, most derogatory term in all of scripture. It, it, it means there is no discernment of any kind. It's just the greatest insult there is. In fact, it's such a terrible thing to call a person. Jesus tells us, don't do it in Matthew. He tells us, don't call someone a fool. You're in danger of hell if you do. It's a pretty big deal. Have, have you? You probably have heard of the Darwin Awards. <laughs> okay. Some of you are chuckling. You've heard of the Darwin It's awarded to people who help society most by either killing or maiming themselves in some ridiculous way, thereby upgrading the gene pool. Okay? You are way more mature than I am, okay? Because I wasted like an hour reading Darwin Awards. I just think you need to hear a couple, okay? So let me, I got a page here with some I wanted to, there they are. Okay. This one starts with a lawyer. A lawyer demonstrating the safety of windows in downtown Toronto skyscraper crashed through a pane of glass with his shoulder and plunged 24 floors to his death. A police spokesman said Gary Hoy, 39, fell into the courtyard of the Toronto Dominion Bank Tower as he was explaining the strength of the building's windows to visiting law students. Hoy had previously conducted the demonstration of window strength without mishap, according to police reports. The managing partner of the law firm that employed the deceased told the Toronto Sun newspaper that Gary was one of the best and brightest members of the 200-man staff. (laughs) I thought about that. Okay, so if this guy was the best and the brightest, that means the rest of the lawyers were the dumb ones. I'm going to take my business to this company because I want the dumbest lawyer I can find. Okay, here's another one. (laughs) The Arizona Highway Patrol were mystified by the smoldering wreckage embedded in the side of a cliff rising above the road at the apex of a curve. The metal debris resembled the site of an airplane crash. The make of the vehicle was unidentifiable at the scene. The lab finally figured out what happened. A former Air Force sergeant had gotten a hold of a JATO, jet-assisted takeoff. It's a rocket. <laughs> it's a, rocket. <laughs> a JATO unit. Okay. Um, it's a solid fuel rocket used to give military transport airplanes an extra push for takeoff. Okay? You get the picture. Okay? So this is shove a big old 400,000-pound aircraft off the ground. Okay. Whatever. Apparently, the sergeant took the JATO unit and found a long, straight stretch of road. He attached the JATO unit to his car, jumped in, accelerated to a high speed, and fired off the rocket. The facts, as best as could be determined, are as follows. The operator driving a Chevy Impala (laughs) ignited the JATO unit approximately 3.9 miles from the crash site. 
This was established by the location of a prominently scorched and melted strip of asphalt. The vehicle quickly reached a speed of between 250 and 300 miles per hour and continued at that speed under full power for an additional 20 to 25 seconds. The Chevy remained on the straight highway for approximately 2.6 miles, which was about 15 seconds, before the driver applied the brakes, completely melting them, blowing the tires, and leaving thick rubber marks on the road surface. The vehicle then became airborne for an additional 1.3 miles, impacted the cliff at a height of 125 feet, and left a blackened crater three feet deep in the rock. I'm supposed to be mature and go, oh, what a terrible tragedy. <laughs> not that mature. Most of the driver's remains were not recovered. However, small fragments of bone, teeth, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's another one. Um, <laughs> this is what's going on in my office when you're doing important things. Okay. A man had a blasting cap in an aquarium hooked to a battery and was trying to explode it. Sounds good so far. Right, guys? Right? <laughs> It wouldn't go off, and Jerry Strohmeyer, 24, of Kincaid, West Virginia, said, I'll show you how to set it off. Let me show you. Watch this. (laughs) Famous last words. He put it into his mouth and bit down. It blew all his teeth out and his lips and his tongue off. Strohmeyer was listed in guarded condition with extensive facial injuries. Okay, last one. This one's local. Kind of. Okay. Tony, 25, is lucky to be alive. He lost his right eye last weekend during an initiation into a men's rafting club, Mountain Men Anonymous in Grants Pass, Oregon. Oregon. Okay. Go Huskies. Cougars. Okay. A friend tried to shoot a beer can off his head. Well, the problem is it was a beer can. <laughs> He's shooting a beer can off his head. But the arrow entered Robert's right eye. Doctor said, had the arrow gone one millimeter to the left, a major blood vessel would have been cut and Roberts would have died instantly. Okay, I guess it's not a problem that it went through the eyeball, I guess, but whatever, okay. Neurosurgeon Dr. Johnny Delashaw at the University Hospital in Portland said the arrow went through eight to ten inches of brain, probably mostly airspace, okay, <laughs> with the tip protruding at the rear of the skull, yet somehow managed to miss all the major blood vessels. Roberts admitted afterwards he and his friends had been drinking that afternoon. Roberts said, I feel so dumb about this. <laughs> okay. So let's see <laughs> if we can get the rails back, train back on the rails here. Let's see if we can understand what the scripture is saying to us. This is Jesus talking. This is the Lord God Almighty himself saying, a person who hoards their income for themselves, a person who doesn't share, who doesn't give it generously, is a fool. And we hear these stories about these, you know, these crazy people doing these things. At least three of those stories are real for sure. One, I'm not too sure if it was made up or not. Um, but we laugh and we say that, and God says, you know what, people are like that. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose, thi- whose will these things be which you have provided? I think now Jesus is concerned about passing this curse along to somebody else. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, the issue here isn't the riches, it's the heart. It's the attitude about those resources. Nothing wrong with having resources. You can hear Jesus' heart. He's, he's saying you know, to this guy, what are you doing? What are you doing that for? You're going, where? Again? What are you doing? Jesus is, he wants us to recognize the folly 
of accumulating for ourselves. And I think our tendency is that we think, well, what if, Jesus, I really started to give in that really generous way? What if, what if I go without? What, what about my kids, college? What about retirement? There's, there's a lot of things to think about, and it gets pretty complicated. But Jesus kind of simplifies it a little bit more in the next couple of verses. He starts anticipating the disciples' concerns, and he, he jumps in, verse 22. And then he said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. O you of little faith. O you of little faith. You know, here's what's to catch, to, to catch hold of. The wealth sitting in this room today is incredible. Don't look around. I'm talking about you. You know, there are very few, if any people, in this room today who who don't have more money than the rich man described in this story. I mean, that's the story of the last couple thousand years of humanity. We have more, and then we have more, and then we have more. It's built up, built up. And what we call poverty today, you know, they used to call wealth. And we hoard, and we hold things for ourselves. And Jesus says, to our shame, he says, oh, you of little faith. So I want to go ahead and connect this whole thing. Um, Giving to God is about faith. You know, every week into our households comes, you know, it, it, whether we're single, whether we're an adult, whether we're, you know, a college student or a senior, it doesn't, whatever. Into our household comes income. And then we have this matter of faith. You know, will I give to God? Will I, will I be obedient? Will I tithe as he has asked me to do? Will I give the first 10%? Yes, it's, by the way, it's biblical. It's not, it's not, a matter of the law. Tithing predates Moses. Um, uh, Abraham gave to Melchizedek 600 years before Moses. It's an eternal principle like the Sabbath. Faith and obedience to God, for us, it starts with the tithe. It's not supposed to end there. And for, for, to, I would say that to those of you who are faithful letter of the law tithers, and for those of you who are not to that point yet, it starts there. And every Sunday, it's a matter of faith. You know, you're in the house of the Lord, and our offering bags are kind of like a symbol of faith. And it comes, and you know, you, you pass it down the road every week, and you take it in your hand, and you touch it, and you know, and um, you know, I, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you give every week. Not at all. I'm, I'm just saying that every time it comes by, it's just a matter of faith. It's just a matter of faith. Here it comes. And, 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 and the question comes up, God, does everything I have belong to you, or is it mine? Is it mine or is it yours? It's a symbol of faith. And Jesus is saying, oh, if you little faith, I take care of all these other things. I can dress the flowers. I can take care of the birds. Trust me. And I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time teaching on the tithe today. Um, I've done that before. And um, they're, they're, the message is available. It's free on the website. In fact, we moved it to the top of the list in case you are peaked, your interest is peaked. And there's also CDs on a table out there. You can just take them. But the question comes up, do I really believe that 
God Almighty himself sees what I do. Am I afraid that somehow I'm going to miss out? Am am I somehow going to lose out? Do I really believe that God is going to leave me behind because I trust him and put him first? It's a matter of faith. Jesus goes on in this text, verse 29. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And here it is. Here's the the third point. Jesus wants us to experience our inability to outgive God. Our inability. You can't. Have you ever experienced that? You know? Have you? I mean, have you ever experienced your inability to outgive him? It's a phenomenal thing. I mean, he, God knows what we give of our time. He knows what we give of our money. He knows. And it's a phenomenal thing to see God at work. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's other forms of spiritual blessing. But he always returns. Ecclesiastes 11 tells us to cast our bread upon the waters because it always comes back. And that scripture is, is talking about investing now, investing today for our future, for your future. I, I don't... I think I've told a story here um, from back in my days at Living Water. Um, in my role there, I led church council meetings, a bigger church, a lot of people. And um, just, I had the privilege of just a tremendous group of council members over a long period of time. In fact, there are people sitting in this room that were on the church council there a long, long time ago. And, and at one point, um, the church decided to build a building. And so we built this, this building that's their main building now. And um, we took out a big mortgage to do that. At the time, the mortgage seemed so huge. It was, I think it was about $700,000, eight hundred. It was a bunch of money. That's a lot of money today. But in terms of building a church, that's nothing for churches today. I mean, and our monthly mortgage payment on that thing was about $7,000 a month. That was a huge amount of money. It's a huge amount of money, right? Yeah. I know churches today who have mortgage payments of thirty or fifty or seventy or $100,000 a month. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Praise God that God has decided for us to have a debt-free campus. Isn't that wonderful? That's not, that's not one of our sermon points, but thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. That is not this, right? We're not pounding our chests over that. It's just a thank you, God, for the way you've, you've done it. But anyway, so I was one of the leaders that helped decide, yes, let's go borrow money. Let's build a building. So I own that part of this too. So, so we got a, we got a $700,000 mortgage, and we're paying $7,000 a month. Pretty big deal. And across town, another church, a Baptist church, was deciding to build a building too. And um, we didn't really have a lot of interaction with them, some. But, you know, business, churches are busy. They do their thing, and they don't interact with other churches a lot. It's not animosity. It's just they're busy. Well, they're building a church over there, and we're aware of it. And we had been through that. So we knew what it was like to raise the money and to build it and, you know, all that stuff, the weight that that puts on people, all that. So we're aware of it, just aware of it. And, and, but, but in the just church council meeting, we're in prayer, which we would do a lot of. And um, one of these council members pops up. We get all done. He says, hey, I've heard something from the Lord. Okay, we take that really seriously. If you flip that card on the table, you better really mean it at one of our church council meetings. And we're going to listen and follow. And so... Don't play that game with us. So this guy, he didn't want to play any. This guy, it was, we weren't playing any game. He says, I've heard from the Lord. We're to give them some money for their building. Okay? We're to give them 
at least one of our, one of our house payments, a couple of house payments. One house payment would be about 7000 Two would be 14000 I can't remember the number that we landed on, but it was more than one. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that much. We didn't really have an interaction, really. So they turned to me and they said, oh, Terry, set it up, make it happen. I said, okay. I'm not going to mail them a check. We're going to ask for five minutes at one of their church council meetings, their board meetings, whatever they have it, and two or three of us are going to go and tell them the Lord told us to do this and we're just investing in their future. Okay. So we did that. Two or three of us, I called them and said, hey, you don't really know us, you don't really trust us, but the leadership, we, just, we know you're in a building program. Could we have five minutes at your next board meeting? Yes. We came and there's people looking around the table like, okay, you weird four square people, what are you going to do to us? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was like, hey, listen, we really believe that the Lord prevailed upon our hearts to invest in your church. So here's something. There's no strings here, no attack. We're not wanting plot. We just want to invest, but we wanted you to understand that this was response to something that we feel like the Lord told us to do. This wasn't wisdom, wasn't shrewdness. The Lord told us to do this, so we invested. Leave that story. Park that. In, pick. Now park that uh, information for the moment. So the church, Living Water, has this, this building, and next to it was an old house. The campus there basically consisted of a bunch of old houses converted over time. And right next to it was this house. We called it the Lighthouse. Isn't that terrible how churches come up with these corny names? The Beacon House, the Lighthouse. Anyway, so the Lighthouse <laughs> was just an old beat-up house with a basement. That's where we put children's ministries. This is the time you go, oh, in a basement, kids? No, it was terrible. We, it was, we were making do with what we had. One day, one night, I get a phone call at 3 in the morning. This pastor, yes, this is the fire department. Your church is on fire. We got a brand new church. How can it burn down? He goes, no, 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 right next. So I get up, I'm 2 in the morning through whatever time it was, and the lighthouse is on fire. The flames are 40 feet in the air, and this house is... 20 feet from the main building, there's firefighters everywhere. They're having fun. They're getting to put out a fire, you know. And the thing goes, gone. Burns down. So you can probably guess where this story's going to go. We had fire insurance. So I get negotiating with the fire insurance guys. I think they offered us like 125. It was about what the house was worth on the retail market, 100,000 roughly. And I said, no. No. Do you realize what it'll, what it'll take us to get a building permit in the city of Olympia to get a building permit for anything? You've got to have attorneys and studies and people resisted. And, and right there is a, what you guys call a seasonal stream and there's setbacks and we're blah, 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 blah. Long story short, after about eight months of negotiating, they handed us a check for $690,000. or It was over $600,000. I can't remember the exact amount. It was enough to pay off our mortgage. cast your bread upon the water, right? It was not our motive to coerce God to do something. We were just responding to something in a council meeting. He said, go invest in the kingdom in a church that's across town. And, you know, the most significant thing in that story is not that the mortgage was paid off. The most significant thing is the things that happened in the hearts of leaders who had to make faith-based decisions about the future of the church just like I have to do for my household and Lisa has to do for her household and you have to do for your household. What do you want to drive those decisions? Your 
viewpoint about how you've got to manage your man- money, how you've got to come up with it, or do you want faith and the supernatural? I mean, that's the, 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 and the, and the tragedy, you know, the tragedy is that many people experience that kind of victory, but then somewhere there's this, just this re- retreat, this pulling back. You know, at one point, you know, that was for them, this is for me, and that whole struggle that replaces faith. And Jesus wants us to experience our inability to outgive God. I guess ask that rhetorical question. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the fact that God will not become, he will not let himself be placed in a debt position to you? Scripture says that when you give to the needy, you've loaned to the Lord. He will not allow himself to be in a debt position to you. Do you know what it is to trust him and to be obedient and, and see him meet the needs in your life? And I, I just long for you to see that. I, I just long for that to happen. Fourth item comes up in Luke 12, verse 31 and to 33. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall, shall be added. He's talking about the inability to, get, to outgive God. And then these tender words, verse 32. Do not fear, little flock. And that is the only time in the whole New Testament he calls us little flock. It's so tender. He, he, knows that we, he knows that we get money in our hands and we just start shaking. You know, what if I go without, you know? Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, is that all we get? The kingdom of God? All that belongs to the creator of the heaven? That's all I get? <laughs> you see how foolish it is that we just grip so tightly to this little smidgen of resources that we control. And, and, and in, in our disobedience, we shut ourselves off from the blessings of this very, very rich God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. goes on, verse 3, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroy, destroys. Give alms. I think this is where people lock up. Because it says, sell what, sell what you have. This, this give alms is talking about works of charity, works of kindness. This idea of selling what you have does not mean liquidate. doesn't mean that. If it meant that, we'd all be living on government assistance, right? I mean, that is not, that's not what the Bible is teaching. He's comparing earthly to heavenly investment here. Jesus is saying, he's basically saying, don't ever let your buying put you in a position where you can't give. That's it. Don't ever let your buying put you in a position where you just can't give. For the fourth point is this. If my wallet is for self, my heart is not for God. And I ask myself the same questions that you would probably ask yourself about this issue. You know, is it enough? Is it adequate? Do, you know, what would I do if I got more? When's enough enough? And it comes up in conversations that I have. Maybe you have too, you know. Should I buy a better car? Or, or I hear this one. As long as I'm tithing, the rest I can do with whatever I want. Really? I've heard this. I've heard this one too. I mean, we're tithing and we've got some extra cash. Is it okay with God? Do you think God would mind if we buy a, you know, a family vacation home? Listen, I don't have answers to you for all those nicer cars, vacation home questions. Wouldn't you love to have that problem? Should I buy a vacation home with my excess cash? Um, but, I mean, but, but I've got this verse 
which I'm going to give to you next and let you wrestle with it. Because <laughs> certainly none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. They're not. They're fine. Here's what Jesus says, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <laughs> and, and that's a warning, really. He's saying, watch out. He's saying the answer to all those questions, is it okay to buy this or do something like that, is be careful. Because the more stuff that you accumulate, the tendency is, you know, well, I, I spent the money on this, now I've got to enjoy it. You know? Then my, my schedule gets filled with things and gets filled with opportunities and gets filled with obligations, and I don't any longer have space in my life to be spiritual. And none of those things, hear me say this, none of those things are wrong in themselves. But collectively, they might not be the wisest. I'll let you wrestle with the words. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So, okay, so to recap, because we're just about at the end here, um, he wants us to know more is not better. It's foolish to accumulate for yourself. He wants us to exercise, uh, to experience our inability to outgive God. And he, and, and he wants me to admit that, that if my wallet is for self, my heart is not for God. And then the last thing, the time to give is now. Right now, not next year, not when I get things settled, not when the mortgage gets paid down. Time to give is now, right now. And I, I'm sure as far as now, this guy that asked this question has kind of crawled under, he's kind of tunneling. Um, he, okay, verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. He's talking to servants in the context here. He's saying, you know, their ideas get dressed. Don't, don't be caught in bed with your PJs on, okay? So is it lamps burning? And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Get up, get the lights on, get ready. Jesus could come back at any moment, right? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Blessed, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Be up and alert. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and, and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. You catch that? Because he's saying, wow, if I'm active and ready when Jesus returns, he's going to serve me. I feel like, no, don't wash my feet, God. And, he's, and, and, and if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them, so blessed are those servants. You know, listen, I mean, I think many of you, some of you are living your life on full alert. You've, you're full of faith. And this is true. That what Jesus is describing is true about you. You, you know, you. I want to encourage you that you've been so faithful and and um, faithful to God. And and this message for you is not a challenge at all. It's not a rebuke. It's not. And you know, you've been faithful for the first watch and the second watch and the third watch. And he's, you've done all that he's asked you. And you've watched him care for you and bless you in many ways. And it's, you know, and 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 if you go on to have a longer life, and he, or Jesus doesn't come right away, so much longer you're going to be blessed. It's wonderful. Verse thirty nine. But know this: that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Again, it's really straightforward. If you knew someone was coming to break in, you'd lock the door, right? Of course. Jesus is basically saying he's coming back. He's told us. And if you know he's coming back at any moment, wouldn't you get ready? Wouldn't you <laughs> be faithful? Be ob- of course, we would be faithful. We would be obedient. And what I'm saying is the principle here is the time is now. Now. Last verse. Therefore, 
you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And that's, by the way, when life ends. At an hour you do not expect. That's the teaching of Scripture. Be ready. Because before we know it, we're going to be with the Lord. And he commands, you know, he's telling all of his followers, be ready. Are you a follower of Jesus? I mean, you know, if, <laughs> if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're probably ready to get out of this room right now. <laughs> In fact, if you're a visitor, I want to thank you for coming to Crossroads Church today <laughs> on this message day. Um, you know, it's like, okay. I want to tell you, that, that I want to say to you visitors, this is not an easy message to hear. It's, it's, it's a message for followers of Christ. And you've come today to a place where we worship the Lord, and this topic is one of the things that snares his people. And so thanks for coming. And to the church, I want to say to you, the time for giving is now. It's now. By the way, the Lord is not up in heaven going, how are we going to pay these bills? You know, that, that is so backwards. And, and I want you to know, I'm not at all worried about the financial needs of the church. I told you before, we're in good shape. And, and, and that, by the way, that's the reason why I waited until after the special offering to give this message. I didn't want anybody here to think that this was an attempt to squeeze your wallet it's just an attempt to kind of nudge your heart, my heart. And because, you know, what I am passionate about is to see people free in this kind of stuff. And some of you do not know the freedom and the joy of making what God has given, available, given to you available to him. And I really long for you to experience this truth, this truth that sets you free. Jesus is passionate about finances. And he is because he knows that it keeps so many hearts from him. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for um, this chance to not shrink back from a difficult subject, but to press through, to pursue God, godliness that you desire in every area of our lives. Lord, break, I, I just, just for me, Lord, and for anyone else who might agree with us, break some, any, whatever chains of disobedience and I just want to say, Lord, that um, my need is to thirst for the things of heaven. I want to hunger and thirst for things that, that are of heaven, not for the things that are not of you. And I know, Lord, that in my life and in our lives, Lord, we have a lot of opportunities to learn this lesson and we come back to it again. Lord, I just pray that you would give us courage and the faith that we need to obey you and to trust you. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, we've turned the lights down for a moment of response. And so I'm going to have you stand with us, and we're going to sing a song in response to what the Lord might be saying to us. But I want to invite the, uh, the, the prayer team forward. If you would come up over here to my right, your left. And if anybody needs prayer, if something's just on your heart and the Lord's saying, hey, um, you need to approach me about this. These are people who uh, really know how to pray for you. And with that, may we just respond to heaven.
concern we have, the Lord says, I am with you, that there is no place you can go that my love cannot reach. So let's sing that again. We sing God with us. God with us, God for us, nothing can come against, no one can stand between us. God with us, God for us, nothing can come against, no one can stand between us, God with us, God for us, nothing can come against, no one can stand between us, God with us. As you leave here today, may you know that God is with you and He is for you. And in a message like that, the Lord's desire is your heart, not your wallet. Amen? It's just like we said when we walk in here. What determines our worship? Our heart does. So Lord, may you have your way in the hearts of your children. May your spirit lead us, lead our steps in all things. May you use us for the glory of your name that no matter what we do, that it would be a worship, a worship out of who you are. So church, have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget there's cookies and fellowship and all that stuff out there in the uh, little gatherings place. God bless you.